Welcome to the McGuff Men. I'm Alex, and with me, as usual, is James. You can check out our website, themcguffmen.com, to keep up on our most recent episodes. Uh, our last one was about a most wanted man. Before that was Game Night. Uh, before that was the Parallax View. And before that was Funny Games. Yeah, so themcguffmen.com. All right, James. It's been a dark stretch of movies when you hear it like that. <laughs> I mean, Game Night and then one drama, <laughs> and now we're doing an Eric Andre movie, you know? Yeah, uh, Funny Games was dark. I yeah. mean, they all, uh, they're all a combination. I wouldn't call this movie dark necessarily, but uh, it's not 100% lighthearted uh, family fair, that's for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. So... Um, the genesis of this movie basically starts in 2012 with the Eric Andre show debuting on Adult Swim and um, one of the co-directors for that show, Kateo Sakurai, um, would end up directing this film Bad Trip. Once Once Bad Grandpa comes out, which is a, a jackass offshoot uh, directed by Jeff Tremaine, um, Andre's agent recommends that Andre meet Jeff Tremaine. And they start talking about uh, making a prank movie and Tremaine talks them out of just doing a movie full of the craziest pranks ever and uh, instead building it around a story. And then uh, seven years later, it's going to be released. And then another year after that, it's actually officially released. Um, I've been calling Bad Trip my favorite movie, the best movie of 2020, even though it was released in 2021. Uh, because I was one of the lucky few that snapped up a copy when it's... Uh, when Amazon put it up for no reason. And uh, yeah, I love this movie. It's great. I love the Eric Andre show. And this movie is like, uh, is basically translating the Eric Andre show into something that like I can recommend to friends without worrying about how they're going to react, you know? Yeah. It's so funny that this is the like palatable, uh, marketable version of Eric Andre because he still gets face fucked by a gorilla at the wrong time. You know what I mean? Like this is still so, um, so out there in some ways, but it's not absurdist the way that the Eric Andre show is like, he literally destroys his set every episode. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That show is so out there that, um, even for how, vulgar this movie is with the some kind of trip sequence in the middle it's still the um accessible version of eric andre and you've known about eric andre for a long time and um he just kind of seemed like he was ready to make a bigger jump you know and Mm -hmm. he was in the lion king and stuff like that like he he's been on the radar of people who who make things and are very interested in people who are doing um different interesting things and yeah, this is an interesting vehicle for him to be exposed to more people. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and I think that that scene, but I think something that that sort of goes to what you're saying, if the scene with the gorilla was not in this movie, I would watch this movie with my mom. You know, like I, I don't think it's like, it's weird and pretty intense, but it's not like, uh, it's not aggressive to a point where like, it's ever really um i would be worried about anything it's the only the the gorilla and the zoo sequence where i'm just like well that's a little too much for some people you know pretty much everything even like the hand going in the blender and, and blood going everywhere that's still just like a a gag you would see in any comedy you know and uh um and yeah, yeah. You're, you're correct that this is sort of a, a time for eric andre to have a moment but it, i don't know i just <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. It's great. I love it. I love that it ended up on Netflix, even though um, one of the great tragedies of my life will always be not being able to see this in a movie theater on opening night. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm certainly very happy that somebody who I never thought would get any mainstream attention because of the truly absurdist nature of uh, the Eric Andre show and totally niche nature of basically anything that's ever been on, on, on Adult Swim. Um would would lead to him never finding any sort of mainstream acceptance but that's what we've got it's great yeah we did yeah, it. you know what i hadn't i hadn't considered it till you said that you would watch it with your parents because uh you know it's, it's definitely not for children and even but the like the the penises in the uh trap thing yeah um that's sexual you know it's these, it's not sexual i mean sexual organs you know it's these guys uh reproductive body parts but it's it's so cartoony. It's not even sexual. It's just it, it's such a 
um, sort of gimmicky, silly thing that uh, it's, yeah, it's something you would watch with your it, cool parents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like parents that understand comedy, you know? Like uh, yeah, yeah. Your, your parents, I'm, I'm fine with. There's some, uh, I, I wouldn't think so. But, yeah, I don't think no, Frank is going to like Bad Trip, but my parents will like this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just be, um, yeah, I, I did kind of think of it as heavier and grosser than that. But I, I think you're right. There is, um, it's not that bad. And it's funny when you talk about the Jeff Tremaine connection here, who's a producer on this. And in reading about the production and post-production of this, uh, you know, he talks to Tremaine, he talks to Nathan Fielder, he talks to Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, and so if you, if you consider Tremaine to be the representative of those jackass guys, uh, and, you know, Bad Grandpa was after one of them had died, they didn't want to do really <laughs> violent, dangerous stunts anymore. So they just did gross stunts, essentially. Um, there's not that many people in you know, I'll say the English, Western, North American world who are doing these things. And I know Sacha Baron Cohen's European, but um, it, it is such a high degree of difficulty. And there's so much stuff that just goes on behind the scenes that we have no idea about. And I read about this stuff every chance that I get. Mm -hmm. And the amount of work that goes into creating the uh, shell companies and the fake job interviews to get a woman in a to clean a house that you've already planted cameras in so he can bust through the door. Like there's just layers upon layers of production and all big films have that, but this is just, um, it's, it's a whole other bag of tricks. And to, as I said, there's just so few people who are doing it on this scale. And when it's done successfully, it, it's so impressive. And uh, I bet we'll talk a lot about the structure or not the structure necessarily, but, how this is put together because it does that thing that uh, you know the Borat movies do well and Bad Grandpa of telling this sorry telling this linear story and having a I'll say emotional center to it mm -hmm. um, while having these you know planned stunts and these pranks on unsuspecting people who aren't involved in the movie and it's just such a tough thing to string together a narrative out of a bunch of stunts. And uh, I think it's so impressive when any of it works. Well, yeah. And, and speaking to what you're saying about stringing together different stunts in um, into a plot. And I think that's that's something that, you know, if we're to talk about the evolution of the, the prank genre, I think that's what this this movie absolutely does. Um, I think better than any quote unquote prank movie before. And I hate calling the prank movies because it makes it sound so juvenile. Um, but we just don't have a better word for it, you know, like, um, yeah. and so I have a question for you. Um, how many pranks do you think there are in this movie? And I mean that like on screen and I counted each time there's a new location is where I'm counting. Cause like the, and the opening credit sequence features multiple pranks, even though it's in one scene, you know? Okay. So are we defining a prank as any time, um, you know he's doing something in front of people who aren't in on it and it will in a different location a each different time location. is a new one yeah like the drug drug trip in the grocery store i count as one but the opening credit sequence i'm counting as every time he's in a new location i'll say 13 it's 43 <laughs> <laughs> this movie this movie goes to credits at 79 minutes you know like that's yeah that's so amazing and you know like a, and um I guess to be clear, I'm I am being pretty generous in that. Like when oh, they're on yeah. the bus talking about when he's talking and talking to going to New York. Um, yeah, yeah. That, I count that though. I'm counting that. Yeah, exactly. Because you have to buy you have to buy the bus and get all those waivers and everything. Um, but that's just so it's unbelievable. It's unbelievably dense. This movie and. Um, I've read a lot about the Eric Andre show over the years. And one of the things that he, he likes to mention is how he wanted the Eric Andre show to be the fastest show on television, which as far as I can tell, absolutely correct. He, great success there. But this is like the fastest movie and almost to the point where I was surprised that it was that many. I, I was just sort of watching it again last night and I was just like, it's, I guess there's a lot of different setups in this movie and a lot yeah. of different locations that they have to control. And, and so I, I just had to count them out and it just blew my mind and 
um, talking about what you were talking about before, about how difficult it is to just sort of prep that house for the one house cleaner shot that <laughs> is five to eight seconds of the movie, you know? Yeah. And yeah. what you get out of it is the absolute gold of her hiding in the front yard and just like <laughs> so terrified. And um, but in such a funny way. And that's so much work just for that one thing or the one plumber who walks into the bathroom and Eric Andre pops out of the bathtub. Um, and right. And I'll just point out quickly that there's stuff that didn't make it. Like mm -hmm. there's whole stunts that don't make it. Yep. But then as you see in the credits, most of like the smaller ones, I don't think the zoo one, um, but the ones like the plumber in the inside the house, they do that with at least five people. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there, there's so much that we don't see. Yeah, because usually when you're doing the and you can tell in the smoothie um, smoothie store stunt, they've done that like three times. I think you're getting different cuts from three different groups. Um, but because you have to dedicate your day to being at this one location, especially with the bigger ones, it just makes sense to do them a few times and, and use the best option, right? Um, yeah. Because you can't like reset after doing the gorilla scene in the morning at the zoo and then you can't go do the donut shop in the same day. Like it's just, it's just impossible. And something that um, I'm curious if you found anything about this, when did they shoot this movie and how many times did they ramp up production for it? Because I have no, I've not been able to find information on that. And maybe I've just been doing a bad job of looking for it, but like, I'd believe anything because it doesn't make sense. Like you could, it, the idea of shooting this movie in a month and a half seems impossible to me, like a traditional movie. I feel like you would have to stagger the days, but I also could imagine it's hard to get Tiffany Haddish and, and on a staggered schedule like that, you know? Yeah, I think this takes years. I think this is actually a really long time. And I know that the um, the amount of uh, the difficulty in releasing it is one thing that makes the window seem big. And I, I'm not necessarily accounting for that. But I think this took a really long time. To make. So do I. So do I. And and I know that they, when Eric Andre talks about it, he's like, it's eight years in the making because when they started talking about story in 2013 but like i believe that they started the, the first thing they shot in this movie was in 2015 uh part of the reason i'm thinking about it is because um getting lil rel howry and tiffany haddish to be in this movie that they don't need to be in for any <laughs> any reason other than for fun um i don't think anybody makes the biggest paycheck of their lives doing this uh, one of the things i love about eric andre is that um, you know, I know enough about Adult Swim to know that the budget on the Eric Andre show is not high and he is doing it purely for the love of what he's doing. And and I get a real feeling from this, from that um, in Bad Trip as well. Um, and it's just, it's so, it's so fascinating. And I always come back to why would Tiffany Haddish do this for any reason other than she wants to have fun. And I think that idea... Um, and that's something that's very true in Eric Andre. And, um, I, and I, I think she had, I think she had fun. Oh, she had so much fun. And, <laughs> and I had fun watching her have fun. Oh, she's so good. So like <laughs> incredibly good in this movie. And they're so, so lucky that she was uh, able to be in it. But, um, and I think she considers herself lucky to be able to be in it given the amount of fun that she has. But, um, I don't know. And I just think that that feeling of fun really permeates the movie. And the one person in the main cast who looks like maybe they're not having the most fun like i'd be surprised if we see Lil rel howry in another in another eric andre production <laughs> just from yeah. watching interviews with him and all these things and um but it works for his character because he's kind of the guy who has to be yeah. talked into things and yeah. um that's something that i think is really interesting about uh again to use the the prank genre term um the thing that's different about this movie is that when you see a prank movie the people that you're seeing in this prank movie, you only, if you know them previously from anything, you only know them from other prank movies. You only know the Jackass guys from Jackass. Um, you know, like you only know, or you know Sasha Baron Cohen when Borat comes out, you only know him, if you know him at all, from like Ali G. Um, G yeah. Eric Andre from the Eric Andre show. But Laurel Howery was in one of the biggest hits of the last five years. Uh, Tiffany Haddish has had her, her own career of a number of huge successes, most notably probably Girls Trip. And um, they're, you know, so it's almost like watching people who, uh, 
you tend to gravitate towards actors because um, they seem like people you would want, like you 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 enjoy spending time with on screen. You know, it's not like a, a back and forth relationship, but it's them talking to you and you enjoy seeing them in one thing. And then when you see them in another thing, it just sort of like, for lack of a better term, deepens the bond you have with that actor. And seeing somebody who you've only seen in really controlled um sort of setups in in other movies and then seeing them in something like this it's just that's a new element that is, is sort of hard to put into words but i think is something uh really valuable to this movie specifically and i think absolutely something that you will see going forward and the problem is like sometimes you get recognized like there's a chris rock prank in this movie that had to get cut because the guy getting pranked heard chris rock's voice and was like oh you're chris rock you know, <laughs> some people are too famous to do this but um it's uh, it's just this really fascinating um, new wrinkle that I think has been added, you know, and everybody talks about the the idea of the story and how they it, basically every prank in this movie ties to the story in some way. And that was a, a goal for them. But um, the the other new wrinkle I really love is the having actors in the, the movie, you know, and if you watched Bones, Michaela Conlin. In this movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and little Val Howery is playing against the type that he is in Get Out. You know, he's so charismatic and funny in that one. Yeah, I mean, he's um, in his own movie in Get Out. He's sitting on the couch yeah. and, and talking into That's the That's true. Um, and my understanding is that it wasn't Tiffany Haddish. They had a, another actor who had a disagreement and then... Uh, her Rell- schedule problem with the TV show that she was on. That's the only information uh, okay. that I have about who this person is. Trust me, I have looked very hard yes. to figure out. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't offer it up there, I assume it's because you There's don't no know way she's more looked. famous than Tiffany Haddish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. Uh, but still. Yeah, um, yeah, man. Okay, so a lot of stuff there. Um, I just, The smoothie shop was something that you brought up really early. Um, and it, it's so early in the runtime that this kind of skipped me the first time watching it. But watching it, um, you know, with a closer eye on repeat viewings, it's not necessarily the most memorable scene, um, but it's kind of the masterpiece of it. Oh. It, 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 it. I don't think it's the most fun to watch, but it does sort of sum up all of the best things that this movie has to offer, I think, because, you know, we start off with what is a pretty, you know, down the middle uh, hidden camera prank. You know, it's this employee who doesn't care about hygiene. That could be on, you know some abc hidden camera show right you know there's a pretty down the middle version of this um and then we have uh you know his 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 long lost uh, high school girlfriend or high school crush i suppose come in which moves the plot forward and it's still uh that sort of bleeds in with these non-actors people who are just on camera and don't know it and don't know they're in a movie and then we have uh, a character walk in and move things forward uh and then we have this sort of synthesis of the two of them we have him hitting on her in this you know awkward cringy way and everyone reacting to it which again is kind of a a uh a hidden camera thing you could do on on network you know it's mm-hmm. this guy is kind of hitting on someone out of his league and everyone's there watching it and that's an apple I'd like to juice. Everyone <laughs> just kind of hates it because that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know we move the plot forward in a very important way. You know we've kind of got this the, the action really being set up. This idea of him taking on this road trip and this is a road trip buddy movie, so that that's so central. And him wanting to reconnect with her is basically the emotional heart of this. That and the the friendship of the two buddies. Um, and then that goes seamlessly into the hand in the blender stunt, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> another hidden camera thing. Very much an Eric Andre sort of uh, stunt. And he has that, he has totally done that stunt on the Eric Andre show. But it's anyway, continue right. for a second. Then I'll yeah, say. no, no. And so it, it, it's very much uh, classic sort of hidden camera stuff. It's very much Eric Andre's brand of, of, of hidden camera comedy or stunt comedy. Um and then it's this combination of, yeah, as I said, hidden camera stuff, but also uh, a real narrative fiction movie. Mm-hmm. And the way that they, you know, you said that it, it's probably a few different takes or a few different uh, setups, a few different crowds of people. But you see enough. You see the same person react a few times. The same people get what I'll call dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they react very well. And it's very funny. And that 
this movie does all of those things really well, but to see it encapsulated in this one scene, um, as I said, because it's so early on, you don't really grip it as much, but that combination of all these disparate elements into one cohesive whole is just such a good summation of some of the best stuff this movie has to offer. Absolutely. So um, the thing when I was saying about the Eric Andre show version of this prank, um, is I think it's in season three and he's in Times Square and I think he's even wearing an orange shirt and a blue visor. Like I think he's dressed almost <laughs> exactly the same. But the thing is he says to somebody, would you like a smoothie? They say, sure. And he just punches into the blender. That's the Eric Andre show version. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. It's, let, it's like 10 seconds tops. But what you're saying and why Bad Trip is amazing is because it combines all of all of those different elements that you're describing. Plus it's got the music. I think the way that this movie uses music really does a good job of underlying um, or underlining the genre constructions that they're toying with. Um, I, I will get to that when we talk to uh, talk about genre, but um, that... oh, you said talk too. I thought Eric Andre was coming on. No, for an interview. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, uh, um... But yeah, and I, the first time I watched this movie, like I had seen um, the first three seasons of the Eric Andre show for whatever reason, I never watched four, but like I enjoyed them. But the moment his hand went in the blender is when I fell in love with Eric Andre um, in in Bad Trip because it was all of these elements, these genre constructions, the toying with with people and just punctuated with this extreme piece of comedy that you would never expect to happen and people being horrified and i laughed so hard i was like in physical pain i thought i was gonna vomit and um that's where like eric andre went from just being an interesting guy whose show i watched to somebody i'm now obsessed with and we're now over a year later and that has not dissipated at all um (laughs) yeah and and the way the, the way the eric andre show is uh that he just goes for that right away right that that show is not about emotion unless you know disgust is an emotion you want to put into that category mm-hmm. but uh he that show isn't really about relationships mm-hmm. and i don't mean necessarily romantic relationships but it's not really about people interacting in a meaningful back and forth way that's things happening at guests or yeah. at people on the street yeah uh and obviously as we said there's a big element of that in this but the way that it, it he's broadened it to uh being able to tell a story and the story is not you know ultimately super compelling but that's not really the point no but i think like i think the difference between so i love movies like comedy movies that i can watch a bunch of times and i I haven't counted how many times i've watched bad trip but i bet it's 10 plus at this point um and i love comedy movies that you can just watch over and over again and um there's just so many quotable lines like the the maria song that he sings in the in the food court has been stuck in my head for a year plus um and like lines like do you know if dow jones is here in the last (laughs) that's really funny that's so funny um Laurel Howery talking about how he's seen Trina flip barbecue ribs with no spatula like just like and there are there are lines like that um, from real people in this movie like I, I think of this movie kind of like I think about Neighbors 2 which is another comedy that I absolutely love and it's very um, it's very you know it's a Hollywood comedy there's nothing that really shocks you but the way that it, it twists genres just a little bit like that's a frat house comedy about women you know like that's that's the twist right. in that movie but it still just works as just as great comedy that you can watch 10 plus times because it's got great performances and great lines and the thing about this movie and i think i think the the thing that i love about this movie is that the difference between a like proper movie version of bad trip and um and the prank version isn't as big as the the difference between um, like bad grandpa as a purely narrative thing or bad grandpa as the version that was released. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there are just great lines. Like in the first, the first stunt, the first prank at the, the car, uh, car detailing when the guy, the way the guy says, no, you weren't is like, you couldn't <laughs> write a better button and you couldn't direct somebody to give a better performance. <laughs> oh, what than... he, what he, what he makes it clear to him that he was not that close with like, exactly. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, and just his funny. head motion. Like it's unbelievable. And there are people like that all throughout this movie. I would have watched 90 minutes of Tiffany Haddish talking to that cop. Like they are so funny together. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, it, and for me that the military guy, the, oh. the vape button is just incredible, but 
I've been talking to you for five minutes and you've offered to suck my dick and ask me to kill you. Yeah, yeah that is a great read, too. Like, nice and stone-faced. Um, but, yeah, that, if... Just we'll say Neighbors, too, because you brought it up. Um, if Seth Rogen wrote that as a line in a script of that movie mm-hmm. or, you know, what, like, that would... It would fit in so seamlessly. That is exactly... For, for better or worse, uh, that is exactly... A joke that if that gets you know kicked around at the writer's table good done got yeah. it don't don't think we need to tweak that one any further exactly like this movie fits in my head alongside like mean girls more than i would ever have expected a prank movie to you know just because like even regardless or in the following along with mean girls even irregardless from the prank elements <laughs> of the movie like if you take away how impressed I am by the making of this movie, it's still just funny and awesome and like just a really good comedy. And I know um, not as we've talked about, like it's pretty basic, but it's most comedies that I love have really basic plots. You know, it's about yeah. dancing on the plot more than than what the plot actually is. And um, and I just I, I love that so much. And you mentioned um <laughs> to sort of reverse from that and go back to just how difficult this is the number of times that really important plot is given or plot information is given out by characters who do not have a microphone on them is really amazing like the guy sitting on the bench before the musical sequence um the army recruiter that you mentioned where like um you can see you can see the bench where andre sits down next to him this is right after the smoothie shop and there's like a little bag covering the bottom of the the bench where they've clearly put a microphone but it's not like a proper sound capturing device and you can hear it when they both talk over each other. The audio mixing has to choose one or the other. You can't hear them both talking. Right. And that guy sets the plot in motion, you know? And you look at a movie like, um, just to, again, I mean, Borat is the Citizen Kane of the prank movie genre, so we're always <laughs> going to come back to it. But yeah. It, the basic setup for most of the prank stunts, whatever you want to call it in a Sasha Baron Cohen movie is we are shooting a documentary and that doesn't happen a single time in this movie. Bad trip doesn't ever have the ability to say we're this documentary. And then they explain a fake documentary there. These are people who don't know that they're on camera and can't know that they're on camera. So you can never get, you can't get clean, proper audio from them. And you also can't get ADR from them because they're not actors. And the way that, that um, just the degree of difficulty of getting that plot from that guy and also from the army recruiter later on, who then sets the third act in motion. Like it's just, it's incredible. You know, there's so many variables and it's just, um, it's fascinating, you know? Yeah. And it's, who, who knows how many good lines they got, but the audio just wasn't good enough. Yeah, and, true. Um, <clears throat> no, I think that everything that, yeah, you're right. The things that need to be there are there. And because we're so used to watching <laughs> movies made with, you know, properly designed sets. And I mean that in the sense of, you know, properly mic'd and lit and all that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes you take that for granted how clean the audio of someone is um but yeah that that's it's really worth mentioning in something like this and uh i think that the they they play with it a little bit and i think that this is really the right thing to do and i i've read about eric andre saying that this was something that they set out to do is you can't have one reaction in there from an actor you have actors in the crowd uh you know the guy in the when when trina's holding chris over the side of the building near the end with the megaphone Uh, yeah Yeah. you know it's just some guy in a vest a high-vis vest who hands someone a megaphone um so that they have better audio and they can kind of negotiate with somebody on the roof and be samuel jackson and the negotiator if you will um so you know they they have people out there and they would probably sway the mood of the group by how they react and by that i mean the people who are being paid um you know for example the guy in the vest or we don't see it because eric andre and other people involved in the movie didn't want to use that it would be they kind of felt it'd be disingenuous if we start using reaction shots from the actors and dialogue from the actors Mm -hmm. uh and that puts everything else into question i think that's a really wise choice and i think you could do it a few times and no one would ever know and you could get some really good laughs out of it but I, I, I like that they took that approach to it um, 
but we don't see the way that they influence things. And I think that so much of what's fascinating about this genre is what people do and what people react and what people are willing to do in groups and on camera and in public. And this one's a bit different because as you said, with the, with the Borat ones, they all know that they're being filmed, but it's not like these people are one person Okay, a couple times they are. <laughs> but for the most part, this isn't one person in a box somewhere with a hidden camera on them mm-hmm. that they don't think, like they, they truly think that what they're doing is never going to be seen by anybody. Yeah. These are people in groups of people, sometimes dozens or hundreds of people um, in public, in, in a public setting who presumably know that they could be held accountable for their actions and, and their reactions. So um, that is, it, there still is that, element of what people are okay with being seen doing and saying and even without the, the camera in their face or without knowing there's a camera in their face because it's hidden in a backpack from someone with yeah. the earbuds taking directions of where to stand um we still get that thing i think that's such a valuable element in the hidden camera or the stunt or prank genre yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, you're you're right. Anytime you see somebody holding a DSLR who also has head, uh, headphones in um, or even just holding a coffee cup and has headphones in, the chances are that that coffee cup is a camera. Um, right. But and that's it, the the ubiquity of headphones and yeah, exactly. electronic devices and wires um, is just doing such great things for this genre. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's what it, it bore at is not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but just. <laughs> how much harder it would have been to shoot and get any audio just because the advances that are made in digital technologies in the meantime. Um, it's such a different toolkit that they have now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's funny. I think there's, I forget if it's in the art gallery or the the taco shop or sorry, the taco truck bit uh, right after it, but there's somebody who I think is holding his phone in front of a coffee cup like he's a camera operator and I think he's holding up his phone as like a fake out for the actual camera that's act- like he's using it as a viewfinder <laughs> for the camera that's in his coffee cup. Um, I, you know, I, I wouldn't take that as a certainty, but um, I just thought that was a funny thing. And and yeah, you're exactly yeah. right that the advances in technology have made it a much easier genre and to do and will continue to be. But um, I think the, the, the way something that this movie does really well um, again, with that assist from, modern technology but also from thoughtful uh setups is they mix the lo-fi and the hi-fi technology really well and right to go back to the smoothie shop sequence because this is one of the ones where you get a wide shot or you get two matching two wide shots where you can kind of you put them together and you can kind of see the whole space so you can see all of the hides that are in the room um, which are the places where a camera is, is positioned behind, like a nice camera, a camera that they can't have somebody in public with um, without them knowing that they're on camera. Um, yeah. And basically anytime you see a mirror in this movie, that's where one of those cameras <laughs> is right behind it. And yeah. so that's how, because for a long time, I was I was 100% certain that the close-ups between Maria and Chris in the smoothie shot were just shot separately when after the marks had cleared out because you know, the, just to get the the nice crisp close-ups because they are nice and crisp. Um, and then I, like today, I was just looking at the hides and I was like, oh, those might all be real. And it blew my mind. And yeah. um, just because of the placement of them and, you know, to know that they shoot at three different times, um, the close-ups are pretty clean, but in theory, you could think about them getting it cleanly once. Um, and I'm sure there are pickups here and there throughout these things, but uh, to cover up something that, you know, where a Mark just stood in front of the camera and stood in front of the mirror for um, no reason other than they didn't know that there was a camera there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the idea that um, the majority of even the really nice stuff was, was caught in the moment is really cool. And I think when um, they do shoot inserts, there's a good example of uh, Andre walking, washing the car at the beginning. You just get a bunch of really nice shots of him Um him washing the car before the the mark shows up and you get a couple more cut-ins and it just sort of like it makes the 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 more lo-fi camera and the high and the better looking camera like the proper movie cameras sort of meet closer in the middle and i think that actually the opening credit sequence is the best example of this because you get these really nice shots of him running through the street and then just quick shots where 
the the hidden camera has to be used when he's busting through the fence or busting through the back door but then you just as soon as he's back out of the house you go back to the nice camera because you can you don't have to worry about hiding it anymore and i think that there's something about the way that this movie does it does that that i haven't seen um in the genre before you know yeah yeah no i think that i think that's true i think that it's been a while since i saw it but i think with um bad grandpa Mm -hmm. it's there's the scenes of johnny knoxville and the kid talking and it all looks good and it's all good cameras and then they walk through a doorway and you know you're in for four minutes of not great footage like yeah, just exactly <laughs> extremely funny footage but just not uh not the highest quality you know fidelity absolutely and like i mean um we're both interested in this in this genre and that this is now our third prank that we've done a <laughs> podcast on like the difference between bad trip and bad grandpa is like night and day but bad trip doesn't exist without bad grandpa and i think like basically every time a new movie in this genre is released it it is a new chapter in like the the history of the genre and um in a way that's not true of any other genre just because there are so few of these movies and they're just so famously difficult to put together um it's just i don't know it's a it's a really interesting thing to track purely because of scarcity yeah no you're right but even so the scarcity is one thing but okay pick a super obscure genre of you know a more traditional film like a robotic you know a sci-fi western musical like just something really obscure okay there's not a ton of them so if we get one every 10 years which you know was that, that genre probably not even but you know fill in the blank um that's not going to change as much as this because mm-hmm. the, the technology is always changing yep, with filmmaking. Right. And so, you know, you get different, you will have different techniques and you'll, you will have different cameras and things like that, but it's just so ingrained in the filmmaking process that the things that we've been talking about for the past eight minutes, um, change so much and what you can do and how good that's going to look. Um, because it, it, what's so interesting about this to us i think is not only are these movies super funny but they're about a kind of filmmaking that we don't get to see a lot and um you know we're seeing cameramen on screen you know yeah. we're seeing camera people and operators and sound people um on screen they don't uh, you know the other people don't know that they are necessarily that but it's it's such a uh, it's so much about the craft ends up on screen in a way that you don't see in um, you know, a Spielberg movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's tracking the changes in technology uh, is such a fun thing. And uh, you with, you know, Nathan, for you with all this stuff, um, there's how did they do this from a technical aspect that we you can spend so much time thinking about? There's a how did they do this? What lies did they have to tell leading up to this? Mm-hmm. Uh, how much money did they have to pay this person to agree to use this footage? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's so much stuff to think about in um, in movies like this that I think we're you know we'll talk about any interesting one again in three years and won't feel bad that we're covering too much of the same ground because mm-hmm. things will change so much. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, and I think that uh, the other thing that I really want to talk about with this movie is just the way that. Um, this movie manipulates genre. Um, a number of genres. I think the the most interesting one being the the romantic comedy. But um, it's so interesting. Like you know, we've talked about how little there really is to this movie plot wise, um, and that's that's great. We don't care about the plot. We just care that the movie's funny. It's a comedy. We yeah. we know what we're in for. Um, we're happy it has a plot. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. But- that's it <laughs> <laughs> um but you know and there's all these elements of of different movies like taking the car um is a very sort of ferris bueller kind of setup the uh setup in the electric cowboy bar is clearly a take on the 48 hour scene with eddie murphy and a, in a where he's the only black guy in a cowboy bar um and even you know right down to uh bud wearing a members only jacket at all times <laughs> like it's just so indebted to like movies of the 80s and, and 90s and the buddy movie road trip movies all these things and um, I think the way that that it plays with those types of things is really interesting. And to go back to the rom-com idea, um, the way that music rises in that smoothie shop or sorry, the way that music 
plays when um, Maria first shows up at the card detailing place in the first the first prank it's just this very light version of the the maria theme um when she walks into the smoothie shop you get a slightly bigger version of that theme and as she is um handing chris uh her card and inviting (laughs) inviting him to new york um you get sort of this bigger moment and all like especially in the smoothie shop it gets bigger than it's been at any point in the movie to that point which is 10 minutes but still um and that sort of like swelling music convinces you as a as a viewer that like maybe this isn't a horrible idea to actually go to new york you know and one um that plays into the convention of the rom-com two it makes the hand going in the blender so much funnier (laughs) um because that doesn't happen and you've got mail you know and um and just the the way that um they use music for that and also when he's in New York and trying to get into the art gallery when he's talking to that security guard and trying to talk his way in, <laughs> what he does, sorry, he's got a few, he's got a few Lincolns to throw. Oh, out there Lincolns too. is so funny. <laughs> like it doesn't matter what joke or what, sorry, what movie that joke is in, it's hilarious. Um, yeah. Prank or no prank, but um, and and you know a number of times in this movie, characters will talk to. Or people will talk to Chris or Bud with like genre tropes like this, like what um, Chris says to the security guard. Like, if you've ever been in love, you will let me through that door. And he's sort of swaying him. What the the guy on the bench um, before Andre goes into the mall um, is saying are just pure, like, follow your heart sort of sort of things. Yeah. And um, same with this is more in relation to uh, getting, you know, mending his friendship with Bud. But what the army recruiter says, and it's like these just the idea that this movie is playing with genre and then going out into the real world where people are sort of regurgitating things that genre has taught us. It's (laughs) just this this weird, really fun thing to think about that just sort of shows you that like none of these people in these situations aren't in control and we aren't in control of our own thoughts because of what we have consumed by sitting on the couch. And it's just this this perpetual cycle that just keeps on going. And I, I just find that so interesting throughout the movie. And the one time that this movie really deviates from genre is, um, when, or deviates from the genre that it's, that it's sort of using is when, um, Chris talks to me. No, no, because that's, that's pretty, standard in the uh road in a road trip movie or or a buddy comedy right yeah it's just it's just shot like a little vignette and it's yeah. it's interesting because they do weave you know some of the same just hidden camera prank stuff like oh let's be all fucked up and be in public and try to get people to dance with us while we're on ecstasy or whatever they're yeah. on um and there are some great bits in there and it's so so many great bits that are so fast and just the absolute yeah. like um, level of self-control that Andre and Sakura and their whole team <laughs> have to just be like, this is great, but we can't show another second of it. You know, like, yeah, it's incredible. I I can't imagine. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no, uh, there's there's a million jokes and bits in there. Um, and yeah, the a trip sequence is not a crazy thing, but or not a crazy thing to have in a road trip movie or, or a, a buddy movie um, of adults. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, different like it's it's um it's different from everything that surrounds it it's not different from other films that have done this kind of thing for Mm -hmm. sure but yeah it's but but the same thing it's they're doing their take on it they're still inserting that style that that stunt style that prank style while having these wild post-production trips visual elements Mm -hmm. to it you know what i mean it's 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 doing it really well and that's when the that's when the editors get the note you can go full eric andre show on this (laughs) yeah that's right and what you were saying before about taking uh a rom-com uh sort of template and taking those genre elements and putting it through the eric andre filter um a road trip sort of comedy movie to me is dumb and dumber. You know, he, mm-hmm. he she leaves her bags on the, in the airport. Uh, so Lloyd has to travel to get them back to her. And so it's, it's a road trip comedy movie. Yeah. Um, it, it, it deviates a bit, but there's a lot of this, you know, driving, meeting new people, driving some more things go wrong, eventually trying to find this person and things aren't what they seem. Um, yeah. Dumb and dumber and Tommy boy were two of the skeletons that they built. <laughs> 
bad trip. Off. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so I I hadn't heard that. So good. I'm happy that I <laughs> it was a good one <laughs> because Dumb and Dumber is like the the road trip. It, it's it's certainly not a romantic comedy, but there is that romance mm-hmm. element. You know, L- Lloyd's in love with Mary, and that's you know what sets everything off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking about usually in a, a movie like that or one um, even a, a less of a comedy, but something where it's about pursuing somebody there's this fantasy sequence there there's this part where the usually the male is uh fantasizing about what life these two would have together once once they've tracked this woman down mm-hmm. and you know he tells her how she really feels she <laughs> for some reason agrees and <laughs> um you know he, he pictures what this uh what this life is and so in uh it's not the most well-remembered part of dumb and dumber by any means but we get that sequence where he goes out on a date with mary he meets her friends at the ski chalet uh they fight at the restaurant or uh, he fights the the chef at the restaurant and it's the jim carrey version of what this scene is you know he gets to be all wacky and rubber face and do his physicality and um there's some you know dumb and dumber kind of comedy jim carrey kind of comedy and then he wakes up and it was all a dream while they're driving. Great. And so the the version in here is when we see Maria and his life together. Mm-hmm. And it's the Eric Andre stunt version. You know, it's them beating up a blind man together yeah. and robbing Which, him. Which, again, is is straight up from the Eric Andre show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, the farmer's market fights, the interview, you know, or the, you know, she's presenting this art thing at a yeah, conference the table. kind of thing. I got the sense that she was selling it, but whatever, mm-hmm. unimportant. Um, the doves get... are a really nice touch in that. <laughs> the doves are fantastic. And that guy's reactions are so fucking good. great. <laughs> um, but that's what it is. We we have this, you know, I, I now that you say that he this was the template for it, or a template for it, mm-hmm. I could see him saying, how do we do this sequence? How do I do the Eric Andre version of this sequence? Mm-hmm. And we get some really funny public stuff and we get some, uh, you know, his idea of romance of making out and taking their clothes off in public and committing robbery, you know, yeah. um, it, it's, it's such a successful, uh, utilization of that template, but unique because it's, it's done in the way that Eric Andre does things. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, to continue on that point, like the, um, cause you mentioned sort of the, it is a fantasy sequence that falls in with the, the rom-com idea, but the, the sort of chair pull moment of this movie is when, um, he interrupts her while she's speaking to a group of people <laughs> in the art gallery and, um, pulls her aside and just sort of gives, gives his big speech. And she's just immediate. she's just like, no, I don't, I don't want that. And as he's talking, the music is swelling again, sort of tying back into what we've got from the smoothie shop. The reason that. Um, part of the reason that he went that way is because he could like, quote unquote, hear that music, like leading him to New York. And um, the chair pull is her saying no, because of course not. Like he had to explain to her who he was, you know, like (laughs) one of these two people has thought about the other at all in the last 20 years, you know, not so. um, And the other one seemingly has her life together. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) But um and I, I, I think that, um, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, Eric Andre, of course, specifically, because it's so important to this movie creatively at, and as an actor, um, Laurel Howery and Tiffany Haddish. But like I, Michaela Con- Conlon is the fourth actor in this movie. And I think she's really good. And she's a um, because like when you watch her performance in the smoothie shop and at the beginning you 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 watch it like chris watches it the first time you're watching this movie where you're just like oh this wrong this is gonna go the way i expect it to they go to the the art gallery and it's just gonna end happily and then you watch it again after you've seen the movie and it just plays totally differently and i think that's a really hard line to navigate and i think she does a really good job of just throwing in a couple little um glances here and there just like the way that she f- kind of feels obligated to say certain things the way that she yeah. walks out of the smoothie shop is really cool uh, or sorry really really good in that she's like whatever i regret saying half the things i said but and and just as a person like um so we mentioned offhandedly she was on bones i had never seen her in anything before i saw bad trip i assumed she was just somebody who had basically no career as an actor and 
she's one of these she has a one of these careers that kind of fascinates me where um you know like the somebody who was on CSI for 20 years but is never in anything else and you know Bones ran 246 episodes um she besides Angel and Bones herself is the most notable character on the show and she is so incredibly rich (laughs) and has such a comfortable (laughs) lifestyle and is so um again not needing to do anything and uh, along the lines of, of Eric Andre but um to be in this and to also, I think, give give a performance that that um, you don't realize how important it is to what I would say are two of my favorite moments to think about in this movie. Even when you take it apart from, um, take it, remove it from whether or not a scene made me laugh. Like to do a podcast on a comedy, I I think about that movie as a po- outside of just laughing at it, right? And those yeah. two scenes are the two scenes that I think about because they're the scenes where they play with your your expectation as a viewer and your read of a situation. And it's totally dependent on her performance um, in both scenes, but mostly in the smoothie shop. And I just think she needs, she deserves kudos for that performance and also for agreeing to be in this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, for, for taking it on at all. Yeah, because she's um, she. it's not like she doesn't do anything absurd. She attacks a blind man and steals his, his wallet, as you pointed out. Like, I, you know, like it's not like she's, she's free of anything difficult. Like, I just, I just think that's so cool. Yeah, and I think because she's a small part but has to kind of do the most things like per second of screen time yeah. and, and be a believable real character to us, to the people in that smoothie shop um, and then be funny and absurd and physical when the Eric Andre show elements come out. Um, Tiffany Haddish doesn't really need to do that. She yeah. does the absurd thing amazingly, so mm-hmm. this isn't a dig on her performance in, in this movie at all, but it, it's one note. It's a note she hits pitch perfectly, but um, yeah, I think Michaela Conlon has a low amount of screen time, but has to pull the the most tricks out of her bag and does that successfully. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also love the idea of like a prank getting blown up because somebody recognizes her from like a mark recognizes her from bones <laughs> and then literally nobody on the production staff knowing what bones is um yeah. that's just a funny idea to me um, it's the it's the snl what is burn notice sketch <laughs> yeah exactly it's, like, it's been it's, on usa for eight, eight years it, yeah it's one of the highest rated shows yeah <laughs> it's bones though yeah exactly um but yeah and I, I just think the uh you know we haven't talked about the sort of bigger um, like, you know, we've kind of talked about the pretty much everything in this movie, but the things that we haven't talked about are kind of the biggest stunts somehow, <laughs> like the, yeah. uh, the mall sequence, which, you know, we don't really need to talk about the details of. It's just awesome that there's a, a musical sequence in a prank movie. Like I've never, that's yeah. something I've never seen before. And I, that's also something that's very big and cool. And, you know, it's <laughs> just planning a flash mob basically. Like it's like, it's 2010 and flash mobs still existed. Um, so it's but it has to look good being shot from somewhere. There's not a ton of blocking in flash mobs, but this mm-hmm. one there has to be. That's true. I mean, usually the guys for one cell phone. I think to my recollection, the guy, the guy with the Yeti hat's reaction oh. is just phenomenal yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there are so many good reactions in the mall. There's somebody like peeking out from behind something that's really good. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that sequence, the donut shop sequence, which has so many layers to it, because you have to have Tiffany Haddish go into the donut shop. You have to have that guy be amazing, and he is. Oh. Um, and and you have all these other people who have set up booths out front that she talks to. Then they um, integrate her talking to the cop, which clearly isn't shot out front of the donut shop, but you know the edit works. Um, and then she steals a car like anything where there's a where they do a prank and then there's a stunt like yeah you can see somebody in in like an orange t-shirt in the background when she drives off in the car i assume that is a, a somebody to stop traffic um from behind her and um and the other moment like this is the lead into the the uh musical sequence where he goes directly from talking to this man on the bench to singing a song and almost getting hit by a car like jumping onto that car and yeah. there is a cut from when the the camera pans over so maybe they do the the stunt removed from other people but i would i would believe that they do it all in one and but just the the cuz they have to have a whole conversation on that bench 
And then there must be a line that Andre says to cue the song, or he just starts singing the song, I assume. And then that camera operator has to nail that. Imagine yeah. being that camera operator and having like a <laughs> bump in your tripod after like getting the footage you know you need. And I assume that's why they cut away. But just all these things that are just difficult to do. And it's just so cool. And of course, they flip a car and, then, you know, like all these things <laughs> yeah. that are just really amazing and difficult. And it's, it's also interesting. But, um, the thing that I and then the, the movie builds to the release, the traditional comedy release of like a the white chick sequence where it's just it's basically a removed stunt, you know, like they've kind of just yeah. set it up. But they're just like, this is so stupid. How can we work it in? Ah, I don't know. He wants to make make up for his friend or for being a dick to his friend. And it's just like, sure, yeah. we'll make sure that this is, we'll make believe that this is a thing that could happen. And, but it does give you that traditional comic comedy release of the big musical number. And it's so absurd and so funny. And party up is just such a perfect song in the way that they're performing it. And then rolling through the credits with the, the bloopers that um, gives you the safety of knowing that most of these people didn't leave set furious you know yeah 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 no they all seem so happy Mm -hmm. and most of them have again we we don't see everybody but most of these people have fairly you know (laughs) affirm my faith in humanity you know what i mean the guy after the car accident that every time eric andre talks about him he calls him dr phil like the guy who diffuses (laughs) their argument and yeah it just gives really good advice and also is like does a really good job of of handling that situation and then it, and then gives up at the exact moment where you're just like yeah I don't I can't do anything else at this point yeah, like all of right. that stuff he's amazing um and he's also really funny like it's he might be the most perfect person in this movie um, <laughs> and I I know that Jackie is also in this movie <laughs> was, you couldn't write a character as funny as Jackie but um <laughs> Yeah. But uh, the thing that that um, I always come back to, and I know I mentioned this a little bit, and the reason that this movie continues to be interesting is that like all of these things are like the Eric Andre and company invite, like trying to get these people into some sort of small confidence scheme and just sort of toying with them and, and just sort of pushing the bubble and pushing the bubble, pushing the bubble until it breaks. And the idea being that like, just, you know, you lose control or this situation there's nobody in control of the situation and what you do in this situation um it's just really interesting and then also how you react to it as a viewer is really interesting in the way that that genres have have um sort of grabbed onto us with the the uh control of how we think and how we would react and what advice we would give and maybe that genre advice leads to Eric Andre having his heart broken in an art gallery or Chris having his heart broken in an art gallery. But maybe that also leads him to realize that, Hey, maybe that was kind of weird and I shouldn't think like that, you know? And, and the one thing that I always come back to that, if there's a core core idea behind the final construction of this movie, it's that, um, the movie is constantly reminding us that we have no control over the world, the outside world. We have no control over how we view the outside world because of, of uh, what we're fed. Um, but the idea is that like, as long as you're a good person around other good people, like who you love, it doesn't really matter. And then you just get to put on six hours of uh, white face makeup and perform TMX <laughs> with Tiffany Haddish and Laura Lowry, you know? And um, I don't know. I just think, I think that's, I, I just think it's such a fascinating movie um, and such an incredible accomplishment. And I know I'm so in the tank for Eric Andre, but it's just like Ankitao Sak- Sakurai, who uh, co-directs every episode of the Eric Andre show. Like, I don't know. Nobody does what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Even even say. there's even though, like, like you said, Sasha Baron Cohen and Nathan Fielder and Johnny Knoxville, like they all do. They all participate in similar things, but nobody does it the same way the other person does, you know? And yeah. I just, I, th- I guess it's just kind of a personality test. Like I am an Eric Andre person, I guess, out of out of all of these. Um, and I think it's sort of, it's a testament to sort of, I think he has a lot of like Andy Samberg qualities that sort of smooth over the, the things that bother me about other pranks like the, the more <laughs> victimizing un- people yeah. yeah victimizing people and and i don't think this movie is not free of that at all because i, yeah. I don't think you can underestimate the um 
the sheer happiness that would be brought on from the relief of realizing that that person hanging over the wall is not actually in danger. And, yeah, you know, they they have these PAs rushing in for the, these waivers to get signed in the happiest possible moment, you know, like, so I don't, I don't think, I don't think this movie is free from that at all, but I do think, um, Andre's like general likability does a lot to sort of smooth over some of the things that I have problems with in prank genres in general. You know? Even ones <laughs> yeah. that I like, you know? Yep. So anyway, no doubt. bad trip, best movie of 2020, but it will win Oscars for 2021 because <laughs> of release schedules. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.